Can a study of fossils help us understand the history of Earth's past? Well, let's consult with a paleobiologist as we look for clues. This is Wonders Without Number. And now let's meet my guest. Joseph Hubbard entered university in the UK at the age of 16, where he earned his degree in paleobiology. Now he's worked as a zookeeper, he's earned qualifications in zoology, and has done research on rapid fossilization, which we really want to tackle in detail today. He's also done research on herpetology and native species conservation. Now he joined Creation Research in 2019 as the UK director, and he speaks and does research on creation science. Welcome to the program. It's very good to be back. How are you? It is good to have you here. I'm doing really well. Good, and good. Um, I, I, are you still dealing with jet lag, or are you still, okay? Still, just about, just about over that. Okay. Just about getting over. That. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, now you uh, collaborated with. John Mackay. I did indeed, yes, on a book our international director. Called What Happened to the Dinosaurs. Yes. And this is geared towards children a little bit more. Geared towards, yeah, sort of, uh, we say sort of around the age of 10, but sort of plus or minus, you know, five years either side of that. Absolutely. And it kind of takes you through this journey about what happened to the dinosaurs, what, you know, um, were they real, what, what's yep. going on here? How, how do they fit within a Christian perspective, All of the right? big questions, all in wonderful comic book style as well. Yes. So. Tell me just a little bit about Creation Research and your work. Well, I uh, joined Creation Research, uh, sort of started working for them on and off in 2014 when I was called into ministry, joined them in 2019 full time as the UK director. And uh, basically we, we love to get hands on and you know get, get, our, get our hands dirty, so to speak. Yeah. We love to take people out on the field, dig up the fossils, really do the evidence for yourself. You know, So you get to go and actually feel and touch and see the evidence for yourself, both with the dead things like the fossils and with the living things like you know your snakes and reptiles and animals and all sorts. It's called the Genesis Museum of Creation Research. Okay. And it's part of our UK Creation Research Museums project. We're trying to get a network of them set up. We've got our big one Jurassic Arc over in Australia, which is our, you know on 20 acres of experiments and uh, you know field trips and all sorts of stuff there. We're working on one for the States as well, so we're getting up a decent network now. Excellent. And the website is on the screen right it now. It is indeed. Okay, uh, let's tackle rapid fossilization. Yes, let's start with an IQ test. Okay. We have a, a, a chap here. Yeah. Uh, any idea who he is? Um, so, so I believe that this is Charles Lyell. It is indeed. And many people uh, uh, don't haven't heard the name. Many people don't no. realise who he is. Um, even sort of amongst some of the you know the, the create creationists, it's mm -hmm. it's quite an unusual person to know about. They've heard of Charles They've Darwin. They've heard of Charles Darwin, and you see there's a big connection between Charles Lyell and mm -hmm. Charles Darwin. Okay. Charles Lyell was actually Charles Darwin's mentor, and uh, Charles Darwin actually said that, you know his famous theory, the theory of evolution? Yeah. Um, he actually said that the theory of evolution came half out of Lyell's brain, Wow. and he never, feel, he never felt like it was properly attributed to Lyell. Okay, what was Charles Lyell? Well, he was, uh, he was a lawyer. Mm -hmm. from Scotland, and he really popularised the idea the present is the key to the past, okay. or what the technical word is uniformitarianism. Hmm. Now what that means is whatever observations we see today happening in geology, you need to use those to explain all of geology. In other words, if we see a riverbed today and it's slowly eroding at the rock, or the famous one he used was Niagara Falls and the waterfalls very slowly eroding a canyon, mm -hmm. he said that if you well, you know, work it backwards, yeah. it took thousands of years 
to carve that out. Okay. Or even millions of years if you're looking at something massive like the Grand Canyon, you know. Oh. So he really popularized the idea that the Earth was very, very old, which allowed Charles Darwin to come in with his theory of evolution and basically say, well, if the Earth is that old, then all things can evolve by themselves. Okay. Now, there is a problem. And that was with what was Charles Lyell's motive? Because unfortunately for him, his sister-in-law published many of his letters that he'd written mm -hmm. where he stated several times that his only aim in promoting a very old earth was to free science from Moses. Mm. Now that, uh, apart from being very revealing, I, I, it sort of shows you his geniusness as a lawyer, right? He wanted to free science from Moses. What is Moses attributed to writing in the Bible? Because it's not just Genesis, it's not just the creation, mm -hmm. it's not just the fall of mankind, it's not just the you know Noah's flood and the history of the geological rocks, it's not just the history of mankind being spread around the world at the Tower of Babel, it's also the law of God. Okay. Get rid of Moses, get rid of creation, everything else comes falling down. That was his mm. sole purpose. And the church accepted it, most of the majority of scientists accepted it, and they began to sort of teach it as fact. Now, what part of my job is, is to kind of challenge that, you mm -hmm. know, as uh, it says in Thessalonians, to test everything yeah. and to only hold fast to what is good. So we're gonna really do a bit of testing and, and really sort of find out, does this idea of very, very slow, gradual rock formation and fossilization actually hold up to some proper testing? Now, science shouldn't be afraid of that, should it? Not at all, science really should not. In fact, that, uh, that wonderful verse in 1 Thessalonians, mm -hmm. it says to, um, you know, test everything hold fast to what is good yeah. and it's 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 amazing because that's what a scientist is supposed to do mm -hmm. you know that sentence could fit in a science textbook uh, but it's not in a science textbook it's in the Bible that's right and that's the important thing because it's a commandment to us to test explore it science shouldn't be scared of that it should be you know have already gone through that testing you know that's how you progress in science you test things and you only hold on to what is actually good and it hasn't been robustly tested but I mean uh, again when we talk about geology, mm -hmm. uh, if you were to propose to many PhD geologists, oh, well, I'm going to uh, test and scientifically observe things yeah. and possibly criticize yeah. what Charles Lyell proposed. Oh, no, 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 we've no, already figured this out. You just don't touch just this, okay? Just accept it as truth and leave it at that. The truth is the vast ages proposed on the geological formations, on the rocks. Charles Lyell, his book, Principles of Geology, volumes one through three, I actually have a second edition copy. Oh, fantastic. And Charles Darwin took a first edition of the very first yeah, volume with indeed. him to the Galapagos he Islands. He was very big into the geology as well, influenced by Charles Lyell. And it was that geological influence and that also, you know, the idea that the Earth was very old and that anything could happen given enough time that actually led him to be able to develop it. it, it you know, it, it, the, the sort of the, the comment that it was half out of Lyell's brain yeah. was simply because the idea that the Earth was very old enabled him to begin to develop that idea of all things coming by themselves out of nothing and developing into everything that we see today. It's so it's based on, the entire idea of evolution is based on a flawed idea of millions of years, mm. which is based on a deliberate act to try and get rid of God out of science. Wow, so, so if geology ex expresses itself over vast eons, then biology probably does too. too. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's dive in and look at some of the data let's in the research. Let's go, yes. Um, I'm going to take you to my home country, if that's all right. All this right. is the United Kingdom, yep. uh, part of the British Isles. And uh, the little lump over on the east coast just there, mm -hmm. um, just coming up, is 
and Stanton. Okay. Now, to give you a bit of a perspective of where it is, uh -huh. there's the lump on the side. That's Norfolk. That's where I reside. Okay. Uh, zoom up a little bit closer into Norfolk, and you can see you've got West Norfolk over there, and then Hunstanton is just about there. Okay. On the map. Okay. Gotcha. It's a tiny little place. I mean, most of Norfolk is made up of chalk, but Hunstanton is very, very special because of the colours. Okay. And it is absolutely glorious. You really, you, just as you get down on the beach and then move around, you just see the beautiful stripy rock. It's just unbelievable. Let's set this up for just a second. Yeah. What is, is chalk mm -hmm. deposited by water? Absolutely. You okay. know that because of the fossils that you find inside of it. Okay. Um, there's no denying that chalk is, uh, is buried by... Um, water uh, it's full of marine shells yeah. little sort you know all sorts of little little seashells and sea creatures and stuff in fact chalk itself is essentially a giant fossil oh, wow. it's made up of something called coccoliths okay. which are the shells of little tiny plankton called coccolithophores mm -hmm. right so lots of these little tiny planktons that get caught up trapped buried and the shells make up the majority of the chalk and there's a lot of evidence and we'll look into a bit of it today that the chalk was laid down very very quickly in a large current okay and that's the exciting fact that's basically what my research was about at university it was had to do with Hans Stanton and it was to do with rapid fossilization in chalk as well I love it so uh, let's we, we need to get ourselves some definitions a lot of people you know they, they struggle with so let's, let's get some yeah. definitions in place okay what have we actually got at Hans Stanton you're listening to wonders without number with David Reeves the message presented today was filmed in studio at David Reeves Ministries Wonders of Creation Center and is available in video format with powerful accompanying visuals. Subscribe to our Genesis Plus package online to get instant access to the video format of this message and hundreds of others right on your computer or mobile device. If you are encouraged by this message and would like to be a part of sharing this information with millions across the globe, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 931-212-7990 or write us at David Reeves Ministries, Post Office Box 2824, Lewisburg, Tennessee, 37091. Visit our website, davidreeves.com, today. That's davidreeves.com. And now, back to Wonders Without Number with David Reeves. You've got two chalk formations, mm -hmm. and you've got one sandstone formation. Okay. At the bottom, you have the karstone, mm -hmm. which is a very uh, coarse conglomerate sandstone, it's called, which basically means it's made up of lots of little tiny bits and lots of slightly larger bits. Okay. Okay, they're all mixed in together, uh -huh. right? So it's a sandstone. Sand refers to the size of, you know, the particle that's made up. Yes. Then you have the Hunstanton formation, okay. which is chalk, okay. and uh, that has got lots of iron in it, so uh -huh. it's essentially rough. And that's that's what causes that's this reddish red. color. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And then the top you have what's known as the Ferroby chalk formation, hmm. which is just essentially your standard white chalk. Mm -hmm. Both the Ferroby and the Hunstanton chalk are full of fossils. They're literally crammed through. It's absolutely spectacular. Okay. Right? Now, to give ourselves a perspective, because the question we're going to be asking when it comes to this is, how quickly did these rocks form? Is there any way that we can test? And is there any way that we can actually take the secular date 
dates, the millions of years, mm -hmm. and work out whether they're even beginning to be slightly plausible. Okay. All right? So before that, we need to actually understand what do they actually say about the age of these rocks. So you can see down at the bottom, mm -hmm. Carstone is 109 million years old, okay. according to the secular geologists. I don't believe that. That's we'll the given that date. Okay. That's the given date. The red chalk is 101 million years old, and at the top, 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 at the Ferroby chalk, is 99 million years old. Okay. Okay. They are your standard dates. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to use them a little bit later with a little bit of maths to actually ask the question, does that fit what we actually observe? Okay. But let's have a look at the kind of fossils that you find in Hunstanton. So you've got your white chalk, you've got your red chalk, and you've got your sandstone. Uh-huh. It can be really stunning as you, you know, wow. as you look out in a beautiful clear Those day. Colors, really, yeah. really it's it's just it's just unbelievable. Right. Here's a fossil. This was actually one of the ones that I used in my research. Okay. okay? Now it was a big block. It's a slightly funny story. Mm -hmm. I was leading a field trip to Hunstanton, one of our creation research field trips. We lead them all over the world. And um, we were having a lunch break. Okay. And some of the uh, younger people there on the field trip started picking up stones and flinging them in the sea, you know, mm -hmm. to try and make them to skim or something. Yeah. And as they walked across, they picked up one and the top fell off. Oh. Revealing okay. this. Wow. Fantastic fossil. Okay. So you can see you've got the curly-whirly one, big curly-whirly one in the middle there. Yep. That's called an ammonite. Okay. And then down on the corner of the ammonite, you can see there's a sea urchin, wow. or what we call an echinoid. Yes. It's been twisted upside down, it's glued onto the side, and then just in the middle of that ammonite you can also see there's a big shark tooth in there as well. <laughs> so it's a fantastic find, right? But it's about, it's probably about a, a foot and a half across. It's quite a decent size fossil to have. Uh, it's a really, really Really pretty. Yeah. Um, there it is, close up. Can you see? There's the fossil see, one. Look at the yeah. structure right Beautiful, here. Beautiful, isn't it? Lovely, lovely, shiny. That was taken down on the beach, and you can see the modern one that was just picked up on the shoreline. Now, here's an interesting point. You know that that's a sea urchin. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me, David, why do you know that that's a sea urchin? Well, because it looks like the it sea urchins like that we have. Exactly. <laughs> so if you want to believe that that's 99 million years old, mm -hmm. what you have to believe is that in 99 million years, sea urchins have turned into sea urchins. <laughs> so they haven't changed a bit. There is no evolution in the rocks. That's one of the first things that, you know, really for both our director, John Mackay and myself, really made us sort of see the fallacy in evolution and really you know, begin to lose trust in it, mm -hmm. was the fact that there is no evolution in the rocks at all. Now, many paleontologists, geologists, yeah. uh, they, they see this mm -hmm. over and over mm -hmm. and over again. And they think, okay, well, if we're looking at this from a, a secular standpoint of, of millions and hundreds of millions of yeah. years, then we must find a rescuing device to salvage our theory. Yeah. So let's say stasis. This creature has remained the same yeah. because it filled an it, ecological it, it, it fits, niche it and it didn't it need, need to, to change. It doesn't need to. But yeah. didn't need to change, didn't change at all for a hundred million years? Yeah. How the, can we find there this There are plausible? two major problems with the idea of, of stasis. The first one is these fossils appear out of nowhere. Okay. Okay, so you're digging through the fossil record, which is supposed to be a perfect history of life, oh. and suddenly you find a fully formed sea urchin. Okay. So the first one is it hasn't evolved from anything. Mm -hmm. It's just suddenly appeared. Okay. It then remains unchanged for 99, 100, 200, 300 million years old, because mm -hmm. they, some of them are, they remain the same for as long as we can find them. Yeah. Right? Now, evolution is often given almost a, a contrast. 
okay. by many scientists, right? So they say, oh, it was here, it realized that it didn't have this ability to do something that it needed, so over the next three million years, it decided to change into it, right? Nature doesn't have a mind. E exactly. Even if they don't physically say that nature has a mind, they very strongly imply it. Yeah. So evolution is supposed to be random chance mutations mm -hmm. leading into something else which produces a new characteristic or a new use for it. Okay. Okay. That sea urchin doesn't have a sense of, oh, I'm absolutely fine here. I'm just going to sit here and not do anything. Right? <laughs> if it's going to evolve, if evolution is even possible, mm -hmm. it will continue to evolve because yeah. random chance mutations will either lead it to extinction or will lead it to becoming bigger and better and developing more and more and more. That's right. So with the sea urchins and with every other single living fossil we find, living fossil was a term coined by Charles Darwin, uh -huh. okay, because he recognized the problem that they presented. Uh -huh. You find they appear from nowhere, they evolve from nothing, and they evolve into nothing. In other words, sea urchins and every single other living fossil, and there are millions of examples, mm -hmm. have been doing exactly what the Bible said they should be doing, mm -hmm. which is reproducing after their own kind. They haven't changed at all. That makes perfect sense. And there, but biology can't question that because we ourselves, we're each new generation, exactly. we're mutating exactly. ourselves into yeah. extinction. Yeah, exactly. exactly. We can't, we wouldn't even be able to survive no. for millions no. of years. Nowhere at all. You know, what you see actually, um, it's, it's quite sort of uh, difficult to think about, not very nice to think about, but yeah. everything we're observing in biology says we used to be up here and we've been going downhill uh. and we're getting worse and worse and worse. Not just morally, not just spiritually, yes. but also physically. We're getting worse and worse and worse. We're on a downhill trend. Opposite. Evolution says you should be going that way. Yeah. You should start down here, you know, with the molecules in the goo and evolving yourself up to bigger and bigger and better. Yeah. But everything we observe, not what we think, not what we theorize, everything we observe says we used to be up here, now we're getting down here. It's okay. getting worse. Which fits with what the Bible says. Exactly. Everything waxes old like a garment. Everything exactly. is getting progressively yes. worse. Okay. Exactly. So you can get some wonderful, wonderful fossils here from Hunstanton, including this one. This is what we call a brachiopod. Okay. Right? It's uh, turned upside down, buried in the cliffs that way up, and it's about two inches tall. Okay. Now that size is important for what we're going to talk about later. Okay. Or just next, actually, because we're going to do ourselves a little bit of maths. Mm -hmm. All right. Are you ready? All right. Let's have a look at what we can actually find in the cliff. So here's your brachiopod. This is the modern day one. Gotcha. Again, a living fossil. Yeah. This is a living one from Australia. Okay. okay. We're going to ask, how do we actually work out how these fossils could be fossilized? Yeah. Was it quick? Was it slow? Let's have a bit of a look. Remind ourselves of the dates. Okay. 99 million years at the top. Mm -hmm. 109 million years at the bottom. Okay. Very simple maths equation. Mm -hmm. 109, <laughs> which is the age of the bottom, minus 99, which is the age of the top, oh. equals 10 million years. Okay. So in other words, it took 10 million years to lay down the cliffs at Hunstanton, which according are to the evolutionary dates. About, about how tall? 20 meters okay. or 65 feet. Gotcha. Okay. You can go and measure it. Yeah. Right? It's, it, it, it's a measurable distance. So it took a hundred, sorry, it took 10 million years to lay down 65 feet of sediment. All right. So what you're saying is measurable so we can observe and we demonstrate what we're doing here. Out, okay. Okay. We can actually work out how long, according to the dates, mm -hmm. how much was being laid down every single year. Very simple equation. Okay. okay. So it took 10 million years to lay down 20 meters, 65 mm -hmm. foot. If you take 20,000, which is how many millimeters tall the cliffs are, mm -hmm. 
divide it by 10 million, mm -hmm. which is how long it supposedly took to lay down, you get the figure of 0.002 millimeters per year. Wow. Now, for an American audience, that is 0.00007 inches per year. <laughs> now, you can't hold your fingers that close <laughs> together, can you, David? No. It's, it's, it's a stupidly small amount, mm -hmm. but put it into context. That means it would have taken over 14,000 years to lay down an inch of sediment. Okay. Remember that brachiopod? Two inches. Two inches. 28,000 years just to bury that brachiopod. Okay. Now, think about it logically. Mm -hmm. If you have a seashell mm -hmm. out on the beach, laying there for 20-odd thousand years, mm -hmm. it is going to be destroyed <laughs> yes. long before you even have a chance to actually fossilise it, which leads you to a very important point. Okay. Fossilisation has got nothing to do with time, but everything to do with a process. Okay. You need to have a process in place and it needs to be the right process. Okay. If you take millions of years, your creature will be destroyed long before you even have a chance to turn it into a fossil. Time is your biggest enemy when it comes to fossilization. You need to bury it very, very quickly. Excellent. All right, we're in Tennessee. We are indeed. We're a long way from the UK right we now. We are, yes. And yet, here in my backyard, mm -hmm. we find things beautiful, like... Beautiful, beautiful fossils. This is a big crinoidal slab, it's called. And you can see all the little sort of ins and outs and bits and pieces in here. Um, this is a creature which is still alive today. They're called sea lilies. Okay. okay? It is, so it's a living fossil. Okay. This is supposed to be over 300 million years old. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in the dates, mm -hmm. but it proves a point. For 300 million years, crinoids have turned into crinoids, so there's no <laughs> evolution. And can you see how they're all in lots of little pieces, all glued together? Yeah. All in one great big mass. Again, you've got exactly the same problem as Hans Stanton. In fact, you could do this yourself. You know, you go to any kind of cliff or formation, quick Google will tell you the dates at the top and the bottom. Yeah. Do the simple calculation and you come up with stupidly ludicrous results. Okay. Right? And all of these glued together, still intact, still looking perfect, hundreds means of them. rapid fossilization. And hundreds of the things as well. I mean, you can go on to so many different examples. One of the best ones, I think, is the fossil fish. Wow. Right? Beautiful. We, again, living fossils. Yes. You know what they are. They're a type of herring that lives, still lives in Australia. And one thing you know about fish is when they die, most of them float. That's true. And if they do happen to sink under some occasions, mm -hmm. they will get destroyed by bacteria and fungus. You don't get beautiful current-oriented fish okay. like this. Okay. So the evidence is really out there that the Bible is true, that there was a huge worldwide flood that covered the world, that laid things down by water moving as it goes along, burying things very, very quickly, and the evidence supports it. In other words, we can trust the history that we find we in the book of Genesis. Absolutely, and completely can, yes. Thank you so much for being here and it's sharing your research. wonderful. Thank you very much for having me. You know, and that is absolutely opposite of what Charles Lyell was trying to prove. As we study the flood and the many creatures that perish in it, we're reminded that God's Word stands true today just as it did the day it was written. But how could it be 100% accurate in history and science and poetry, poetry and, and prophecy? only through divine inspiration. It's also accurate when it tells us about a Messiah, a Savior who came to forgive us from our sins. Now, over the past 12 years, our ministry has been blessed to share the gospel with countless millions, and we are so privileged to have men and women of all walks of life come from around the world, literally, to share their expertise with us. We hope that you've been encouraged and educated today, and we wanna to give you the tools that you need to boldly go forward and share what you've learned. 
Leave us your questions and comments on our Facebook page and maybe we can address them on a future program. I'm David Reeves and until next time, remember to keep looking up. Truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. Hello, I'm David Reeves, host of the TV show Creation in the 21st Century on TBN and the Heavens Declare video series. Each week we talk about breaking discoveries in science which reveal that our Creator, the God of the Bible, has left a pattern of His fingerprints throughout the universe. Engage with other like-minded believers through the Creation Club. This website offers thousands of articles written by scores of authors in multiple languages. Sign up to get our free monthly magazine delivered to your door. Want more? Genesis Science Network is our free 24-7 TV network, reaching millions of people around the world on internet, Roku, Fire TV, and mobile devices. Shop over a thousand books and videos on the Creation Superstore, the world's largest origins-related store. Visit our Wonders of Creation Center and sign up for email updates to have encouraging articles sent straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook for daily inspiration and education regarding science and the Bible.